As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hi there, this is From the Rookery End, a Watford podcast brought to you by The Athletic. I am Adam Leventhal, the Watford correspondent for The Athletic, and alongside me for this Thursday dig behind some of the key stories emanating from Vicarage Road are John. How are you, John? All good here. I have been contemplating lots of things of life as a Watford fan for many days, and actually that's the thing I'm feeling at the moment. I've got too much space in between games. I want another game sooner Mm. than than, than I'm getting them. Yeah, you want them thick and fast, don't you? Get back on the get them back on the bike or whatever the saying is. Oh, I missed the championship. <laughs> Mike, Mike is also here. How how are you feeling? I was at the game on Saturday, and I'm the the exact opposite of John. I can wait till I reckon next August for the next game. I think. <laughs> I jest, I jest. Come on, we knew it was going to be like this. Bring it on, Norwich on Saturday. Can't wait. Uh, the sun's shining. What is it? What's not to love? Well, there's a lot not to love, but anyway, we need to start the podcast. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll scratch your surface <laughs> throughout, the, uh, throughout the podcast. Just to line up exactly what is on this week's agenda, um, we're going to be talking about the process. A lot of people have been talking about the process, and we're going to just be sort of having a little bit of a battle between the process and fan expectation. So we'll just be digging into that. We'll also be touching on the article which has dropped this morning, Thursday morning on The Athletic and I've focused on one of the elements of Watford's setup at the moment and a little bit of a change in how they've been pressing and maybe it is a little bit of a, a pressing concern. And also, thank you very much for sending in all of your questions uh, on Twitter. I put the shout out on Wednesday evening and once again you have delivered so we're going to be running through some of your questions and maybe just sort of dipping in here and there uh, and we'll be giving you a name check which is uh, which is always nice, isn't it? You like to listen and, and get your names checked. Right, so let's deal with with this question of the process and a lot of people jumped on what Shisko Munoz said after the game against Wolves which was obviously a disappointing 2-0 defeat let's just hear him first first and foremost what did Shisko say after the game here we go I brought about our players it's important to have humility and uh, everybody know what is our amazing one how we need improving it's important everyone stay outside of comfort zone and try to give the best for, for the squad. Sometimes uh, we need to give more. We need to understand what is the, the feminines, what is the, the level of this, and it's important. Start better the games. We have uh, the same problem in different games, and it's important to give uh, our best in all the moments. And some players give one step in front about the situation because uh, we have experienced players, players with uh, capacity, and they play in the Premier League, and they know about this. We have the process. I know the people don't understand the process. The process is important in the life. I know what is the Premier League. I know exactly what happens when you are in the Premier League. And I know what is the process about the new players. I know what is the level in our team right now. And now is the moment for the start work. So that was how 
the Watford head coach reacted to the game. And I think the overriding feeling from what he was saying was, I understand that the Premier League isn't going to wait around for us whilst we learn and whilst we bed in and whilst we build all of these connections. But at the same time, you have to acknowledge that there is a process. And a lot of people have said is on you know comments on, on articles that I've written on The Athletic, on social media, everywhere, Adam, what is this process? And the whole point is... <laughs> It's quite simple. And other managers have spoken about it before. Uh, Bruno Lage, who is the Wolves manager, he was speaking about it after the game at Vicarage Road. There's always a process. It takes time to build things, to work through things, to educate each other, to learn, to live, to breathe, to just move forward in a positive direction. Now, a lot of Watford fans will be saying, well, I don't see this process. I don't understand the process. I'm not getting it at the moment. Gents, from your points of view, are, are you getting it? Do you, do you understand Shisko using the, the terminology of, of the process or does it, does it get on your nerves? Mike, what's your, what's your verdict? I'm with you, Adam. I think it's a wider phrase. I don't think it, it relates to a single sort of master plan that's sort of hidden away in a manila envelope and, and, and locked away in the in the top drawer of Tisco's desk. I think what he's referring to is we're trying to get better in the Premier League. We're trying to get up to speed in the Premier League and then we're trying to stay in the Premier League. That in itself is a process. And as you as you said, Adam, it, you can apply that phrase to virtually everything. There's a process to doing this podcast. There's a process to making your dinner and eating it and so on and so on. And I think that's probably what he was, in my eyes, that's what he's alluding to. And I have sympathy for him because he has got a new squad in terms of a lot of players that have come in from a pretty disparate sort of background, some high on confidence, some on low on confidence, some from with lots of experience, some with uh, less experience. And of course, he's and, and big players have left. So Troy Deeney's left, Will Hughes has left, Nathaniel Chalabar's left, Domingos Keener, all sort of people have been in and around Vicarage Road for a long time with varying degrees of influence on and off the pitch. So Watford is a, is a, has been a very movable feast for the last couple of months hasn't it and only really now is it is it settled and only really now perhaps does he understand what the process in terms of getting Watford up to speed needs to be so I think what he's referring to is that they're always moving always changing always trying to adapt always trying to improve that's the process that I think he's referring to I might be being too what's the opposite of granular too helicopter view about the whole thing but that's what I I, 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 I take from, from when he... I don't think it's like this magic bullet that's going to be right. We're going to move him up to left. On Tuesday, we're going to do this sort of training. On Friday, I think it's just a more holistic, if you like, idea that all the while he's learning, the squad are learning. He knows where he wants them to be, but it takes time. It takes effort. It, 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 it's a process. I look at it. I've just started a new term as a teacher and I've got this 30 new children and you have to sort of get them working as a team and working together, understanding me as their manager uh, and, and all those sorts of things. And, you know, it, it's that what is that process? The, the storming, norming and forming process. And it's like, you know, the, the forming bit was done in the transfer window and it's only just finished. We're still in that storming phase, but it's the... Yeah, it, 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 it isn't a, a silver bullet. And I think that that's where the fans' problems are, are maybe coming in. They want to know, Colin said on the podcast on Saturday, he wants to know what we're about. What, how are we going to go around winning games of football? What is the Watford way this season with these players and this manager? And that's what I think lots of people are sort of in the footballing world, as you know, the, the Twitter sphere and what have you. That's what they, I think they sort of they, they want to know for, for comfort. We, you, Mike's absolutely right. The, the process is more than just the one thing we need to sort out. But what is it that we're sort of looking at generally? Are we going to be this attacking team? Are we going to be this defensive team? What is it we're going to be? And then all of a sudden, it allows you as a fan to not have to know everything. But it allows you to sort of say, OK, you've done that. I can see that's where you're going. You made that choice in that game against that team because of their player. And that's why I hear. But I can see we're still moving in to be this sort of team. Colin was grabbing and wanting an identity. Mm. I don't think that's that for me. That's the thing that sort of is still unclear. Whatever Cisco sort of says in that, that, that press conference, it was we're working on it. 
it's just there's no sort of yeah vision there for me to grab hold of. I, I think I, I disagree to to a certain extent on that because, and, and we'll dig into the the tactical side of things in in the sort of the second part of the of the podcast when we talk about the article that I've written and and the pressing side of things. And yes, there are elements in terms of the midfield and and defence and and things like that. But I am seeing an identity. I am seeing a, a new way of playing. It might not be the best and it might not be functioning the best. But so far, if you go from Aston Villa to Brighton to Tottenham to Wolves, there are things, as players have been integrated, have come in, that have actually improved and that other things have actually stayed quite consistent in terms of, of how the how the side plays. And what I'm seeing... Although it's not reap rewards, I completely understand that. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not sitting here thinking that we actually do have twelve points when we only have three. But they are working to a plan. They are sticking to a plan. I'm not seeing players out on the field that are throwing their arms up in disbelief at this um, the way of playing that they have been told to play, and they absolutely hate it. Maybe one exception was Joshua King, who thought. Don't take me off now. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just finding my feet. I'm doing okay. Don't take me off and bring on on Cucho. But as as Shisko Munoz said after the game, that was one of the issues that people had raised. Um, you know, why did they take him off? He said brought on Cucho uh, Hernandez last time in our last home game, and he scored within <laughs> a minute. This time it didn't work. And as I understand it, there was quite a philosophical approach from everyone after that. It's like, well, yeah, he he chanced his arm. I think from the fans' point of view. They will be sitting there listening to this and going, hmm, it didn't feel right at the time. And maybe he might have just been sort of using that a little bit to protect himself, probably knowing that it was the wrong call and it was the wrong risk to take at that time. But he will live and he will learn and he will move forward. But as I was saying before, I, I'm still seeing players, you know, on on message, that's different, Adam, though. Being on message and being part of a team and doing what you're told because you're all part of a team is very different from knowing what this football club... You know, you, I don't know what this... What, what is it? What do you think it is that they're trying well, if to you, achieve? Okay, okay. no, 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 I get, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. But if you compare it to the start of the season, 1920... Can we not? 2019-20, <laughs> like, And... <laughs> you, you think about how, what a mess Watford were at the beginning of that season. They looked lost. Yeah. They looked unhappy. The results weren't going their way. Troy Deeney got injured. Then it was all over the shop. It looked as if the signings had come in too late. Javi Gathia didn't want them. Then you got rid of him after four games. It was a complete and utter mess. And it never really, really recovered from that point. Yes, there was a, an uplift under Nigel Pearson, but then even he... You know, it, it turned into a mess for him as well. Let's be brutally honest. Mm. So if you compare what they're doing now, you know, I was thinking and I was, you know, there was a little bit of a leap of faith in the summer saying, oh, no, OK, let's let's stand behind Shisco Munoz. And, you know, he was inexperienced when he arrived, but he did the job. Let's stick with him. Let's try and carry this momentum forward. Yes, there hasn't necessarily been a really big wave of momentum, but they are still trying to build something and they're still trying to move forward with a plan. You throw into the mix... The fact that they've also brought in the whole new sort of captaincy leadership element to the whole thing as well. There are, there, you know, there's bodies in that dressing room that's still just trying to work out, right, who's leading us now? Who am I listening to? Can I put myself forward? Can is I that part you know, of the be problem, a leader? Though, I don't think is that, it is. It, like, it's the problem. I think that's what they did well last year. Someone on Twitter commented to us, he, or they asked, they sort of mentioned, they said, you know, he, he, you know it wasn't Cisco who sorted it out last year. It was the players who sorted it out last year when they had their little gathering after the Coventry game. And yeah. three, that was the thing that really sorted it all out because the players kicked in. Just playing devil's advocate as a, as a grumpy fan and just sort of loosely linking it into my sort of slightly fuzzy idea of what the process is. And Adam, I, I do make you right. I think the players do look focused and committed, as you'd hope. We've only played four games of the Brooming Premier League season, for heaven's sake. They, they're exactly where they should want to be, which is pulling on a Premier League football shirt every, every week. So I'd be pretty disappointed if they weren't. However, if it doesn't click against Norwich, Newcastle, and then into a, a tougher run of games and things do get harder, how quickly will we see those players 
bearing in mind sort of some of their background, where they've come from and what they're hoping to achieve, how quickly that, you know, that will actually disintegrate and has that, how quickly that will disintegrate. And in terms of the leadership, is that still being established? You no know, different captains every week kind of thing at the moment. Is there just too many moving parts for this football club at the moment to make a decent stab of the Premier League? I, I suspect that might be what some more vocal supporters are worried about because it does all of a sudden feel a bit nerve jangling, doesn't it? It does feel like, oh, crikey, we're not defending particularly well. We're not scoring very well. The midfield looks a little bit embryonic in terms of what's our best three and what's the, the best way for it to perform. Understandably, there's doubts over over Cisco. I think we've been um, trained to be like that as Watford supporters, quite frankly. Since since Gino Pozzo came in, we there has been a high turnover of of head coaches, and so it's it's auto, almost automatic for us as Watford fans to think right three four games without a goal, without a win. We know what they're going to be thinking, and we it's almost like muscle memory. We we're, we're getting ready for it because we think that's what's going to happen, whether it's the right thing or not. So I think there's just so many. Um, imponderable, so many questions that we don't still don't know the answers to at the moment. And I think the worry is for some people that by the time we've got the answers, it might be too late. I mean, that's that's not an answer to anything. But I just think that's, I think everywhere sort of feels like everything's in a big Premier League size washing machine at the moment. All, and we're trying to get the pair of socks up as they as they come out. And, and we're finding it quite difficult. As far as analogies go, I've made some bad ones in my time. I think that's up there with the worst. But hopefully you, you kind of know where I'm getting at. Sort of. <laughs> yeah, I always you know we, we, yeah, we can look at Twitter, we can talk within ourselves, and we're we're a different breed of fans uh, when it comes to analysing things. And there's, there's two ladies I work with, Liz and Josie. Hi, girls, if you're listening, you know I often go to them for just a little bit of a check. They're not hardcore Watford fans, as in every single thing that goes on. How are you feel about Cisco? And they both sort of put a little funny face, and they went, yeah, but you know I, I want him to to have a go. And and you know, Mike sort of says. There's that thing built within you know within us now that surely that's the thing that's going to change. It is the thing that is, I don't know, he is the one getting all the criticism, I think, at the moment. I know we sort of talked on the podcast saying, hey, that's the thing that we're going to be developing over the next couple of uh, games. Now he's got his set squad. But Adam, do you th- why is it that fans are getting so worked up, do you think, about just four games of football and these two games that are coming up? Are we wrong to get stressed about that? We've been focusing on the on the process. It's important, and in answer to your question, to bring in the question of of expectations, because that's basically what it centres on. The, the fact that a lot of Watford fans, and let's be, let's be brutally honest, some Watford fans, you don't hear from on social media. They're quiet. They're just watching, listening, enjoying the experience of being a fan. You hear others that shout louder and louder and louder. And sometimes you can be fixated. It's like an echo chamber. Oh, he's got to go, he's got to go, he's got to go. And you think, mm. well, oh, he must be. He's, he's on his way. See you later. Oh, he's already gone. It doesn't need to be like that. But it also reflects the fact that I think there needs to be a little bit of a reality check for a lot of, of Watford fans that are immediately calling for, for Munoz's head. And this isn't me defending or being like a club spokesperson. I got accused of being a, a club spokesperson by by someone on after one of my articles. And I'm like, well, no, 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 no. This is just what I believe. You don't have the tie, Adam. You need the tie if you're going to be a spokesperson. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if, I, if, I, if I was a spokesperson, you better believe I'd be wearing a whopping great yellow tie. <laughs> but it's what I believe because my expectations seem to be set at a different level to to many other other fans i look at watford being promoted from the championship and i think we are premier league newcomers forget about what happened before which was only really good up until what march april time of 2019 so it was a hell of a long time ago we fizzled out of that season and Ever since, we've not really been great, apart from getting promoted from from the Championship. So we haven't really got any Premier League form. We've completely changed our squad. We're starting afresh. And we don't belong in the Premier League. No one belongs in the Premier League. You've got to earn it. And if it doesn't go to plan, it doesn't mean that you just throw everything out of the window and go, oh, it's not working, it's not working, it's not fair. 
you you knuckle down and allow people to knuckle down and that includes the head coach it includes the players it includes the hierarchy to come up with the right solution that doesn't have to mean changing the head coach all the time look i'm not stupid enough to think if they lose against norwich and they lose against newcastle and maybe lose against leeds as well that it's going to be a very difficult international break in october for the head coach i'm i understand that I'm hoping it's not because I've got some time off booked off in the international <laughs> break. So I could really do without that happening. But, you know, I just think that everyone just needs to just, just simmer down a little bit and know who we are and that we need to earn it again. And yes, it might not be brilliant at the moment, but just let it develop a little bit. Let's just see where it goes. Because everyone was thinking after nine games, and we've mentioned it so many times before, the Coventry game, yes, it helped by the, the senior players as well, blah, 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 blah. But they got back on it and they got winning again. So just try, I would say, be a little bit more glass half full than empty and have a little bit more faith. That's what I would say. Have a bit more faith and then let's see what happens. I don't think that's unreasonable, is it? I do want to stick up for for, for supporters in in some regard. We need to take because I think some people will bristle slightly at at the phrase "know who we are." I know exactly what you mean, because but I, I do think that it might be misconstrued as having a lack of ambition. You know, expect being accepting the fact that we've lost three in a row, haven't scored a goal, haven't looked like scoring a goal for three three games in a row because we're Watford and we're, we're sort of trying to re-establish ourselves in in the Premier League I, I do I do understand where where people get tetchy and itchy and and worried um because whilst I do agree with you in terms of how things are developing in the comparison with the with the last Premier League season and the start to that is is interesting and very very worthwhile because like you say I do think we are poles apart in terms of what we're trying to do and where we're going and, and just the way things feel but I don't, you know, just because we're Watford is, isn't a reason to be relaxed, shall we say, about a, a poor run of form and some and some incredibly worrying statistics, which I know we'll, we'll come on to. So I just did want to sort of get one back for, for some supporters who, at the end of the day, really basically want the best for their football club. And having scrapped tooth and nail to get to the Premier League first time, we blew it and then scrapped tooth and nail to get back. I, I, I kind of get why some it can feel like it's 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 unraveling pretty quickly, but also you are right, and and I and I very much enjoyed a lot of the Wolves games, and I had to pinch myself and sort of question myself. Mike, are you all right? Actually enjoying a game of football? I said at the weekend it was quite absorbing, and it was it was a tough one for Watford. And on another day they could have got a point, I think. Whether they deserved it, I don't know, but they could have got a point, and that's kind of what the, the enjoyable thing about football and watching sport is as a as a as a sports supporter, watcher, and and fan. And you, I think you're right, Adam. We do have to learn to enjoy it for what it is, and what this is going to be is a real, real scrap. And I love the phrase "earn it." That is what we're going to have to do. And I love the way you say, "Give the people, give people time to to earn it," because we've only played four Premier League games. As I said earlier, the squad are finding their feet. They're finding each other. They're finding a way to mesh and knit. And and Cisco is is finding the best way to to utilise them. So, I understand the panic. I understand the the irritation and the and the nerves. But when has watching football given you anything but that? And I think it's 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 about embracing it, isn't it? And uh, and and just yeah, it's it's that we're at the at the start of the Premier League roller coaster. I just think we need to be under no illusions that that's exactly what it's going to be. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. A Watford FC podcast brought to you by The Athletic. This is from the rookery end. Right, so now it is time just to dig into the latest article that I've written on The Athletic, which is all about how Watford have been pressing or not so far this season. And it has been a particularly noticeable change, which John, Mike, I'm sure you have noticed as well. I've seen it. 
And I wanted to look into it a little bit deeper to see if the data backs up what I've been seeing, which is basically a more passive approach, not pushing, not going hard, high up the pitch. And like last season, which was all about the staccato clapping of Shisco Munoz and his assistant, um, Roberto Cuesta, who's no longer with the with the club, you know, really putting it on the players to, to push hard and, and chase after uh, the defenders of the opponents high up the pitch. Now it is a lot more reserved and it's all about retreating, getting into a almost like a 4-5-1 shape and getting behind the ball. Basically, and there's a lot of data in there, and I would really encourage you to, to read it, especially if you are into that side of football analytics, that Watford and Norwich, it just so happens, both press the least in the opposition defending third than anyone else in the Premier League. There, there is other data in there. There are other tables in there as well, which don't make for great reading. But but gents, from, from, from your point of view, you know, I guess you you'd been seeing a change of approach like I had as well. I think that word you use, um, passive, Adam, is is interesting and is right. And I and I would say go and read this because it is we've been pontificating, if you like, about what Watford are doing and what they're trying to do. And I think this puts some real meat on those bones in terms of statistical analysis. And I don't think you need to be necessarily that minded if you think you're you're not usually interested in this side of things I would suggest that this one is one you should look at because it gives you a just a real wider view of, of of what's unfolding so far but I think that word passive it's often got negative connotations hasn't it and I think going back to what I said earlier I think that might be why some supporters are are troubled because it doesn't look like Watford are stamping any sort of authority on the game which is understandable but what's also understandable, of course, is if you try and press too much and you chase and you harry and you get caught out in the Premier League, the chances are you're going to see some fairly hairy looking score lines pretty quickly, especially when you're playing the likes of, of Tottenham, perhaps less so with their form, but Wolves with Traore and Jimenez, both pace and speed and power, all that sort of stuff. So it's fascinating, isn't it, that that word passive is an approach but it's such a fine line, isn't it, between getting it right and being able to soak up the pressure, stay in the game and then hit and score. Because the other thing that really <laughs> jumped out at me, and I have to say, is the is the XG, the expected goals. So it says in the article that Watford's Watford, the bottom of the Premier League with an XG over the course of the piece so far of 2.54 and we've scored three so we've done better than the xg suggests but that's the expected goal of 0.54 a game which to be frank is awful isn't it it's nowhere near good enough to get you what you need to stay in the division so really interesting and it just helps me get an understanding of what's actually happening. Because when I watch the game, I'm quite an emotional supporter when I watch it. I'm sort of like, oh, go on, get the ball, tackle, kick it in the goal. I'm very sort of um, like that. I, I just I feel it as opposed to sort of think too much about the about the about the tactics and analytical side of it. So this is absolutely fascinating stuff. Uh, but it does lay bare some of our failings, quite frankly, doesn't it? Uh, well, a lot of them. And, and it's and it's pretty stark. Yeah, I looked at my favourite stat now. I know XG whatever is now the opponent's progress possession stat, the OPPP, because I'm a big naughty by nature fan. Um, <laughs> you know, it really sort of shows that you say that we are letting the opponents come on to us a lot more. You know, we aren't um, pressing as much as we should should do or we we want to do, um, and that I, I suppose I'm not surprised in some way by that because. That might be the thing that Watford are trying to achieve and try to, you know, not be a high press. But that doesn't make sense in my head in terms of what our strength is. You know, Jason, again, on the podcast, talked about on Saturday, he said, you know, we need to play to our strength, which is that speed that we have up front. And I don't quite know if, if everything I saw from the article is sort of aiming from what Watford are doing to... to play to the advantage and the the strength that we have i think there's just there's a, there's a lot of room for improvement i think there's a stat about how about how good watford's crosses are we're, we're pretty poor with that and so i think if we are going to be passive to use that word to or have that approach a slightly more pragmatic approach which again i think is is perfectly understandable what we do have to do is look at those metrics where we can make a real difference. So crosses, perhaps dead ball delivery, when they're not good enough, 
and that's that's focus and perhaps it goes back to what we we're talking about right at the start of the the podcast what's the process well perhaps the process is nudging these these figures northwards a little bit because at the moment they're not where they need to be if we're going to if we're going to win football matches there's there's too many and I know Ad, you've been very positive and about about Watford so far in this the, the pod which I think is right but there's far too many and hope and I think you'll agree I'm I guess I'm asking you do you agree that there's too many stats and metrics within this uh, within this sort of piece that you've done only on the first four games, obviously, that aren't where they need to be, are they? If we're if we're being blunt, yeah, I agree. I understand what they're trying to do, yeah, and they've been successful in in you know trying to stem the flow of opponents who might have more gifted players than than Watford have in the attacking third. Yeah, they they've managed to do that. However, especially now going into games against uh, Norwich and, and Newcastle in particular, who are struggling like Watford have been, that it's maybe time just to sort of reset the the dial a little bit and mm. let the pendulum swing a little bit more towards the sort of risk and reward side of things and just ease the handbrake off a little bit. And just to give it a little bit more freedom and, and you know, if, if you see an opportunity to press and let's 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 be brutally honest they're not they're not going to have exactly the same plan for every opponent and they will adapt things and there will be triggers if they know that someone is weak within the 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 Norwich side doesn't like it on their right hand side or doesn't like it on their left hand side that they will have those little triggers and they will press so it may well change in in the forthcoming games but I think it is really important that you know, and I wrote it in my previous article that yes, whilst the the process is important, points in these games are really important as well. So, hopefully, there is a little bit of a change, and you do start to see Watford playing to their strengths. Because what we've also seen, and I mentioned it in the article, that when Watford do attack, they can attack at pace. We know mm. that there is pace in the side, which kills so many defenders. They hate it. I mean, Matt Target is still still sort of somewhere at his home, hiding in the corner after what happened to him with Ishmael Assar. I'm only joking, I jest. I'm, I hope he's all right. But, you know, in terms of what Watford can do, you need to just make sure that that action can work more often. And if you are too passive and you're dropping back too far, and there's one of the one of the um, images that I use in the piece is of, of Watford, yeah, great, with, you know, four at the back, five across the middle, all the way stretched across, and you've got Adama Traore in the top of the frame. I understand what you're trying to do, but that's almost halfway inside Watford's half, not challenging Wolves mm. at all, letting them do what they want. Come on, you know, you're at home. You've got to take it. You've got to, you've got to do it. You've got to push a little bit harder. And I yeah. think that there is an awareness that, yeah, come on, let's let's just try it. We've, we know what happens if we don't. And, you know, we, we leave ourselves open and we might score an own goal or Daniel Batman might make, make a mistake. And then we've sort of stuffed ourselves a little bit. So let's now, let's kick on a bit. You make a good point that we skated over, and I'll, I'll be brief, but the fact that we have largely, perhaps with the exception of Brighton, where I think we looked all at sea, we have contained the opposition we've played against for large parts of the, the game, if not the, the majority. And what's undone us has been silly mistakes. So if you look at the, the wider piece of a, of a 90 minute football match, yes, of course, if, if you make mistakes, they lead to a goal, they're, they're fatal. But in terms of the overall plan, the process, if you like, if that's not the name of the, this podcast, then I'm, I'm a, <laughs> I don't know what I am, but uh, you're an unpaired uh, pair of socks. Exactly. Yeah. I'm looking down and yes, lo and behold, I am. Um, <laughs> we're not far off. Yes, the mistakes are costly. Yes, they're obvious. And yes, they're a, a real pain in the backside for a whole host of reasons. But but we're not. It's not beyond the realms of possibility that if we could have kept a clean sheet against Tottenham. It's not above the beyond the realms of possibility we had a clean sheet against Wolves even, and and the same against Villa. Too many mistakes there. Two silly mistakes there. So perhaps we're not that far away, and that's why. Again, going back to what you're saying in the middle of the pod, Ad, about sort of perhaps having a little bit more patience and, and understanding. But looking, you know, overlaying all these stats over it is, is is interesting. And just perhaps to remember that we're not far away from getting that blend 
that mix right. It's it's absolute fine margins in this division, and that's that's the sort of nerve wracking, scary thing about it. But it's so rewarding when you get it right. So let's. Um, but I do think at this stage you're right. They've just got to go for it a little bit against against teams who are who are struggling because Wolves did look like they were they were worried a little bit. They didn't know where that goal was going to come from. Ultimately, that's because it was going to come from us. So that's why they were a bit, a bit confused. But cut those mistakes out. Make it difficult for the opposition, and then break break with purpose. Make the most of it, and we're going to be in with a shout. Well, you know what? This is a this is an opportune moment. We, you know, we've been talking about how we are feeling from the Watford side of things. Let's check in with Michael Bailey, who, of course, is the Norwich correspondent for the Athletic, to see how he's feeling in terms of Norwich's very difficult start to the season and welcoming Watford in particular to Carrow Road. <laughs> So at Arsenal on Saturday, Norwich obviously lost, but um, it was uh, Daniel Farker's 200th game in charge of Norwich City. And in that time, the team that Norwich have uh, performed worst against is actually Watford. They've lost all four games against them since Daniel Farker took charge, uh, and they've done that against three different managers. So it'll be up to you whether you think that that makes Watford Norwich's bogey team come the weekend, or maybe Norwich is due a... Uh, a result against them yeah four losses no points I think the fan base know this is a huge game coming up I think everyone knew that from the moment the fixtures came out because a a lot of people expected Norwich to end up with no points from their first four games because they've been so tough that doesn't make it any easier when you actually go through it and I think some of the fans are a bit twitchy and it might be an interesting atmosphere if Norwich don't win on Saturday I think they'll be desperate to get the team over the line but there's there's that external pressure definitely internally I would imagine they're quite relaxed hopefully not too relaxed because I think they know that they need to focus on certain games this time rather than two years ago where they just kind of went about it in the same way most occasions so I will be fascinated to see how they take it on but I think uh, it's been a difficult start and I think they know what they need from Saturday and I I expect that they'll do everything they can to make that happen. Uh, it has only been a few months since we played each other. I think that game Norwich was still a bit drunk from their um, promotion celebrations. So it probably wasn't the fairest gauge. Norwich strike me as a little bit more pragmatic. I think they're trying to be less dominant in possession and trying to attack with a bit more pace. But they are struggling to work out how to do that. They've obviously lost Emi Buendia. They're not really providing the through balls for Temu Puki. It's much more kind of quicker in a 4-3-3 and trying to support and cross balls. So it's, I think it's a bit of a work in progress. And it, again, with how early we are in the season, it will be interesting how Norwich and Daniel Farker marries that with actually getting a result on Saturday, which is, of course, what they need to do. But uh, there will be a few new players involved and uh, that is part of what Norwich's summer has been. So... They will look different. Hopefully they'll be a bit more energetic and focused than they were back in April. And uh, obviously, from my perspective, hopefully it'll be a much different result. Part of the Athletic Podcast Network. This is From the Rookery End. Yeah, big thanks to Michael for featuring once again on From the Rookery End. I'm looking forward to seeing him because it is always funny when Watford and Notch are in the Premier League, in particular, you know, going back to 2019-20 and then being together in the Championship, that there is... That sort of camaraderie. We were going down together. We were going up together. And hmm, let's just see how it goes this season. Because oh. who knows? It, this could be sort of a turning point for for either side's season. I can imagine you two approaching each other in the uh, in the press box going, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, like rolling your eyes and tell yeah, we're here again. Oh, gosh. You know, yeah, we... exactly. Yeah. And it's tough. You know, almost, you know, you're on the same page because, yeah, it was all sunshine and, and happiness not that long ago. And now you're thinking, oh, bloody hell, it's, it's tough for the big boys. But anyway, we will see what happens on Saturday. And just a reminder, if you haven't yet subscribed to The Athletic, uh, as a listener of From the Rookery End, we have a new subscriber offer for you and you can get a third off your annual subscription, uh, which makes it only £3.33 a month, which is an absolute bargain, even if I do say so myself. Uh, theathletic.com forward slash rookery end is the place to go to take up that offer and you'll be able to read what I 
write, what Michael Bailey writes, what everyone writes about all our opponents this season and beyond in European football, American sports as well. So we've got all of the bases quite literally covered. Now, I wanted to say thank you once again for sending in all of your questions. And let's let's give a few name checks out, shall we? Yeah, so Lou Owens, or whatever he's calling himself now on his new account, he says, you know, have Watford been naive, do you think, in their approach to this season so far, Adam? <laughs> It's a difficult one. I think naive is a is a, a, bit is harsh a tough my word view, to I unpick. I don't think naive is the right word because I think that there's been a lot of thought that has actually gone into preparing for this season. Whether it pans out right or not, we, we, we simply have to wait and see. But there's definitely been some method in what has what has gone into this season. You know, clearing out a lot of um well, high wages. I know some out have gone out on loan, but high wages, big characters, refreshing various departments in the side. You know, bringing in new leaders, trying to you know get a squad together in a difficult market, difficult financial market as well. Bringing in you know not spending that much money, which is you know prudent, especially if Watford get relegated again this season. You know, sort of future proofing and stuff like that. So I wouldn't say naive is the word, but. I, as with any team, the jury is going to remain out, isn't it? Until probably after Christmas to actually work out where where Watford are. I think that's that's fair enough, isn't it? Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. But one question that keeps coming up, and we're going to get rid of this one, please, uh, is Rich WFC2. Now, I had a chat with Rich about this question. He says, what's happening regarding Pap Gay's case? I don't get it. Oh, I literally, God. I don't understand why you're interested. I said to him, I, we had a conversation, I don't get why you're interested in him. He's not a Watford well, player. He, he says, well, he wants to know where, where Watford's, and fair, I think fair enough, at least he backed it up. I'm just said, saying, I don't understand. I, understand I, I want to know where Watford's money is going, especially when we're told that, that you know, money is a premium. So I think he's, it, the, the case obviously piqued his interest. It was a weird one. And I guess he wants to know what's happened. Has it cost us any money uh, or are we in, in the hole for anything on it? Well, there are still things that are unknown. And I'm really glad that we are dealing with this, finally, but I'm not <laughs> going to spend too long on it. But basically, <laughs> you'll remember that Pap Gay was going to be signing for Watford, but he ended up going to Marseille. And there was a big hoo-ha about who owned him. And there was a, a, a big grapple before it being then escalated to FIFA which is where I understand it is still being dealt with in their dispute resolution chamber. Um, the next step beyond that may well be that that case is then dealt with by the Court of Arbitration for Sport. But as of around about 45 minutes ago, the hearing was not listed on the Court of Arbitration for Sport website. So as far as I'm concerned, it is still with FIFA. And I will, having written an article about the, the saga, but also dug a whole load about how good this player was going to be <laughs> playing for Watford and that went down the <laughs> swanee um then I'm quite keen to see what happens with him as well but as I understand it it's, it's more a, a case of not Watford losing money on a player because they haven't bought him but they might actually gain some money having been gazumped ultimately by by Marseille so we will see that is the latest situation and we will keep you posted on the next edition of From the Rookery End if there has been any developments on Mr. Pap Gay, Rich. Thank so you for Rich, the question. New question for next week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We've done that one. <laughs> yeah. At Watford Opinions, mm. is there any chance of a January recall of Tom Bashir? Of course, he had scored two goals against Reading, so he's obviously caught the eye. And um, uh, Philip Zinkenagel. Any chance of them coming back in in January for the second half of the season? Well, I think that there is, there's definitely, and it's an interesting question, thank you. I think that there is going to have to be sort of a, a process, probably, I would have thought, by the sort of November uh, international break, that they start to make calls on these sort of things because they will be structuring the squad according to the, you know, the genuine needs or whether they can think, oh, you know, we've actually done enough up to now. You know, maybe we can get through with, with our current squad or maybe we, we will need reinforcements especially considering that there is the Africa Cup of Nations, which is quite a significant thing that's going to be happening as it stands in January. So those recall options are still there and they are what they are. They are recall options. I wonder if Forrest being, to put it bluntly, pretty dismal might 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 play a, play a, play a part in that because they're bottom of the league, aren't they, and, and struggling? They are, but he, he, I think Philip 
Sinkanagel came in and, and and was doing well and he was contributing and and yes they he was sort of he was either scoring or assisting the goals that were going in in two one defeats at the beginning so it was like oh he is actually doing doing a job and he did have a bright start and you know I, I, for Chris Hutton's ho- uh, sake I hope that he turns things around but it is looking pretty bleak at the moment but you know it doesn't necessarily mean that if a player is at side that's struggling that he's not having actually a good time simply because he's playing so you know hopefully he can actually build some build some confidence and potentially be an option but of course as we've spoken about before even if they aren't going to come back and make an impact at Watford having that exposure rather than sitting you know in the back of the training ground doing nothing um, means that other eyeballs will be on them so that is a, a positive thing and when Tom Deli Bashiru is scoring goals like you know Domingos Kina scored at, at Reading way back in the 18-19 season you know top bins and all that sort of stuff that's great for not only his confidence coming back from an injury but also for his price tag as well which is all part of the part of the plan so yeah we will see it is another unknown in this season Pabby Cucho asked though about the best front three and and is this you know this just a matter of getting Mr Tufan and uh loser you know being the players that we want to be and, and bridging bridging the gap but also Andy has asked about a change of formation and it was, I think it was because it's Pabby Cucho sort of got my my mind thinking it, it's about I feel it Adam it's about fitting him in I know he came on as a substitute and did a wonderful thing within a minute. But every time he's come on, it, it, it isn't playing to our strengths. And I can't quite see why he would be played or chosen to start a game if it's a front three. I absolutely do if it's a front two. Do you think we just need a formation change just for another option? Or actually, would it help us get the most out of him and actually get the most out of more players in our squad? I mentioned it in the article regarding pressing that it might actually be something that is sort of on the table at the moment in terms of changing the formation to actually make Watford, um, you know, instinctively when they are out of possession, having more of a guard in front of the back four by having two defensive midfielders and then having three ahead of them and then one up top. So a 4-2-3-1, which would enable... Watford to then get a creative player in front of two defensive midfielders, which which wouldn't then necessarily mean that everyone has to, you know, head backwards because you've already got that natural protection. So I think there's still some sort of evolution that needs to happen this season. And maybe they are playing the way that they're playing simply because of the players that they have available. And obviously, look, the elephant in the room is that Imran Loser, unfortunately, he is the player that Watford spent the most money on this season, around about £10 million. He had a bit of a horror show, didn't he, against Mm. Brighton and got hooked at half-time. So the hope would be, and the plan, as I understand it, was to have him playing instead of Will Hughes in that sort of midfield anchoring role and not have Peter Atibo necessarily there. So... I think trying to sort of get the blend right, get Ozan Tufan in there, rebuild Imran Loser and get him involved as well, getting Joao Pedro back involved as well, potentially as that number 10 with, you know, Saar on one side and Kucho on the left-hand side or Emmanuel Dennis on the on the left-hand side with, with King up front or Dennis up front and King on the left. You know, there's lots of different options at the there moment. There are, but it's the most out of Saar though, isn't it? Him and Dennis, that's, that's the thing that we saw that was electric on that first game of the season. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I agree. And I think that, that, you know, bringing King in has sort of knocked that, knocked that balance a little bit out, but I don't necessarily think it's, it's not going to work in the future. What I've seen from Josh King, he's still getting up to speed. You know, he's making steps forward. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of uh, sort of, not doom mongering, but just sort of a lot of negativity about a lot of players that at the beginning of the season we were excited about. And that excitement doesn't need to just completely dissipate and evaporate. There are st- There's still players there and there's still players coming in and there's still opportunities to change the formation, alter it slightly, but also get success with the formation that Watford have actually had for the last, you know, 12 months or, or whatever it is. You know, 4-3-3, it can work. But maybe, maybe we're starting to see with that sort of passive approach and the fact that we changed the way that we press and all that sort of stuff, maybe it's not as suited as we would have hoped in the Premier League and maybe it does need to change. So, Papi Cucho, Andy W, I hope you're 
answers have sort of come from that that sort of <laughs> that info blast or that you know that that ramble. The Stoke game for me is actually an opportunity for a lot of players, isn't it? They hopefully they're going to get yeah. an opportunity to shine, and they they you need to go for it, lads, and you need to shine quite well. In any way, in any way, the Palace game was was the, the the previous Carabao Cup game, and whilst it was a decent performance, the pace of the game was just extraordinary compared to a Premier League game. In as much as it was, you know, half pace, wasn't it? Really, it was. So I do, I do think that's a not a cop out. That's the wrong phrase, but I think we need to be wary of saying, well, that's the opportunity we've got to get it right, because I think not the reason right, all these but questions show are something. Com- not right, yeah, the, just show something. That they need to the do. reason these questions are coming in, I think, the more we talk about it, the more unsure I am about. The midfield, not necessarily in a bad way, because Adam says there's no point in getting upset about these players. They're all players who are obviously talented. There's there's lots of good-looking pieces to slot together, um, and it's just going to be fascinating in the in the in the coming weeks how they are how they're put together. Whether that jigsaw uh, ends up looking like the Mona Lisa or something not quite as appealing. And you mentioned the Stoke game, and I think really. Norwich and Newcastle, you couldn't ask for better games. Norwich will be under pressure at home. Newcastle on their travels. Um, both teams struggling. They're the games. Go out there, you know, use these games to, to, to use the players that you want to succeed. So I think the Stoke game, yes, it's a, it's a handy little additional tool, if you like. But let's not let's not kid ourselves that, that we need to be doing it in the Premier League. As Adam says, let's not kid ourselves that we've actually got top-end performers or players that have been signed on the basis of us thinking they are. Um, so let's let's utilise them. But that midfield area, absolutely fascinating. Get it right, Cisco. There's a good lad. Job done. Easy. It's just simple, isn't it? Just get it get it right, will you? you know, from just, the man that can't even pair right. his own socks. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, gents, I think we've, got, we've gone through it all. And I hope that, you know, everyone listening has just been able to sort of, just sort of take a, take a deep breath and, and just sort of try and, Get yourself ready for the next challenge and, you know, this next phase of games and and try and hopefully go into it with a little bit of positivity and come out with a little bit of positivity as well. Fingers crossed it does go well. Um, Just a quick reminder for you, if you're not yet an Athletic subscriber, you can go to theathletic.com forward slash rookery end and you can take up that uh, offer of a third off an annual subscription. John, thank you very much indeed. Thank you very much. Come on, you ones. Mike, I think you've ended actually pretty positive. Just leave it there, shall we? We're there at Carrow Road on um, Saturday, so if you see us, do come and uh, do come and say hello. Well, no, and absolutely, and that so that is a perfect link onto the next podcast, isn't it? Because uh, Mike and John, and who's going to be on your cast? Do you know who's going to be? With DCW you is making the train on... trip, so it's Colin. So we'll have a good old chat about the game afterwards. Perfect. Jolly good. And that will be dropping on Monday. And then we will be back once again, pulling everything apart next Thursday. I do hope you've enjoyed it. Thank you very much. And we'll catch you on the next one. The Athletic.